Yeah, Bill has written a beautiful book on Texas Christian history. It's entitled The Influence of Christianity on Early Texas History. And you'll want to get a copy after service. Got a book table outside. So, Bill, come right on, brother, and bring us the truth today. Amen. How many of you are glad you're already redeemed? You've already been set free? Already redeemed? Boy, that's a, that's a great deal. Um, Alan, I really appreciate you letting me come today. It's an honor to come and, and speak to you guys. And this is a special weekend because we're here to, or we are celebrating the 4th of July. The 4th of July is a big holiday. How many of you saw the parade yesterday? There were hundreds, hundreds of entries in that parade. It was uh, about an hour long. It was awesome. It seems like everybody in town was in that parade. And uh, I think next year we're, Sherry and I are going to get out there and walk or something. But it's really neat. You know, small towns are neat. And um, Granbury is one of the neatest of the small towns that I've ever, I've ever been around. And if you don't know our history, um, we came here in 2012 um, Sherry's from Miami, and I had lived there for a long time. I was in business there and uh, went in ministry. It's a long story, which I won't go into today. But all of a sudden, the Lord told us in 2012 that we should start putting our house together to sell it. It was Sherry's dream house. And so um, that kind of surprised us. And we, we went ahead and sold it. We sold the house with uh, out putting it on the market for cash. In a down market in Miami, which was the second worst real estate market in the United States, we sold our house without ever listing it. So we knew we were supposed to go. That was kind of a confirmation, right, when you sell your, your house and you don't even list it. But um, things happened. God moved sovereignly. We didn't know we, where we were going to go. We sold our house, and we wound up here, not in Bluffdale, but in Granbury. Maybe that's prophetic. Maybe we're going to Bluffdale. I don't know. Bluffdale has a nice restaurant down there we like to go to. But... um. We um, we came to Granbury and uh, actually moved into a, first a rental house in uh, the 1st of September in 2012. So we're, what is that, two and a half years we've been here. And uh, the first thing that we did, we, we, we met some people, and uh, the first thing we did was to go and join the Ministerial Alliance that you were referring to a minute ago. Because we wanted to meet people, we're involved in ministry. Um, my ministry is called Makeaway Ministries, and uh, it's a financial counseling ministry that uh, dates back to 1993, really 1987, but it was incorporated in 1993, so that's a while, and we thought we were bringing that ministry out here in a, maybe a different form than, than we had in the past. But anyway, we heard God speaking through this individual, and we went to, went to join the Lake Granberry Ministerial Alliance, and we've been faithful to be a part of that and think that it has a really great future here to bring the churches and the kingdom of God together here in this community. I don't know if you have been around, but we have, and there are very few communities like this where churches work together. It certainly wasn't the case in Miami, and uh, there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of churches. I think there's a 1,000 churches just in, just in Miami there. And when those guys get together, they get together and argue and fight and compare attendance and all, all that kind of stuff. This is a unique place, and it's been a blessing for us to be part of that. But that same guy that told us we should go be a part of the Ministerial Alliance, he said, um, 
I'm a part of an organization that I would like for you to consider being a part of. I think you'd get a big kick out of it, and you meet a lot of people, and some of the people in this organization are folks who kind of are involved in the leadership of Hood County. So we said, well, fine, that fits right in with our program. We want to meet people and, and get connected here in the community. So we got involved in an organization called the Texas Heroes Foundation. And I don't know if you've heard of the Texas Heroes Foundation, but uh, the president of it is Cullen Crisp, who ran for uh, state senator here last year. He was defeated, but but anyway, he, he he's a really nice guy. And that that group of people, there are 30 or 40 people in that group that are the people that push Texas history in this town. This is a town that's very interested in Texas history. Have you noticed that? Texans are interested in history anyway, you know. When I went to high school in Dallas, I went to Hillcrest High School, and I'm not going to tell you what year. Well, I'll tell you, 1957. I can't hold back secrets like that. In my senior year, I had to read a book about this thick on Texas history. Is that still offered? You still? It was a mandatory course. I didn't have a choice. I had to take Texas history. And so that's a long time ago that I read that book, and I didn't remember that much about Texas history. But as we got involved in this organization, what I noticed was even though the room was full of believers, even though all the people that are involved in, the, in, in, in that organization are, are church-going people, except for a couple of them, it was all about the secular part of Texas history. All of us talk about the Alamo. We talk about Davy Crockett. We talk about... Uh, the various things that happened, uh, the Sam Houston, the Battle of San Jacinto, and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't hear anybody talking about God. Where's God in this thing? Surely God was doing something during all of that, but we don't talk about that um, in, in our history. And so I brought that up in one of our meetings, and I said, would it be okay if I enter into a project to find out what was the influence of God on all this history that we're discussing here. And that's where this project was born. And uh, put up, uh, let's start putting up those charts. I wrote this, I, I, I started out to write a series of articles. It was going to be like six articles that I was going to put in the Hood County News. And the more I wrote on it, the more God said, write more and more and more and more. And I kept adding to it and it turned into this book. And... Um, the book is in, uh, you know, it's it's got the word in here. It's biblical. It's all kinds of stuff that you probably never heard of, or, or a lot of you may not have heard of, unless you're involved in ministry, unless you study something like this. But it's um it's history, but it's in the context of of Christianity. What is Christian uh, Christian history? What was God thinking about during all of this time? This wonderful history that we generated in Texas. And what I wanted to talk about today, I can't talk about this whole book. There's a lot of stuff in this book. But what I want to talk about today is the part of the book that starts at the beginning of Texas. Texas was here a long time before uh, David Crockett came here. It was here a long time before the Alamo fell. It was here a long time before Sam Houston came. Texas was here a long time. There were Indians that lived here for centuries. They were here. They were the first Texans. And before them, Texas was here. It goes back a long way. And uh, I, I, I want to bring from the origin of Texas up to um, where Texas came into the Union because Texas is the 28th state in the United States of America, 
and we're celebrating this weekend the independence of the United States of America. Are we not? Hello? Everybody stay with me now. Um, the challenge here is for me to tell you this without getting too historical. I'm not a historian. I'm a, a minister. And uh, there's a challenge not to get involved in too many dates and stuff like that, but I do want you to see the sequence because what I've always believed and I saw when I did this research is that God always has a plan. Amen? Think about this for a minute. What God, God, God is not frivolous. God says things, and he doesn't joke around. I mean, he, he has a sense of humor, but he's not fooling around like we do sometimes. He has purpose in everything he says. Because everything he says creates something. It produces life. There, there, there's no word that God says that doesn't produce something. And so he has a plan before he ever says anything. Unlike us, we, we, most of what we say has no purpose and no plan whatsoever. We just talk and babble. But not God. God had a plan. He had a plan from the beginning. He put two people in the Garden of Eden, and there was a plan there. The thing about God's plan is that because we're imperfect, now, now this is my definition. There's, there's theological uh, things we could get into today, but I'm going to tell you the way I see it. I see that God has a plan. He always exposes us to his best. And then as we mess up, he can change that plan really easy. Um, let's look at, um, well, let's, let's, let's don't change that quite yet. He had a plan, and I knew that he had a plan for Texas because I knew intellectually that God always has a plan. I just needed to discover it. I didn't know what it was. How did we get here? Why did we get here? What was God doing? And uh, the first thing I needed to do when, when I wanted to find out was I went online and went to Google and asked Google. You know, if you don't know, ask Google. So I put in pretty much these key words in there, the influence of Christianity on Texas history. And I, and I wanted to find out because I had no idea. I had never looked at the connection between Texas history and all those historical things that we know about Texas history. I'd never tried to connect it to the church or to Christianity. I had no knowledge of it. And so the first thing that I went to, it turned out, was the Texas Almanac because it was at the top of the list for the Google list. And let me show you what I found. Would you go to the next slide? In the Texas Declaration of Independence, which was made on March the 2nd, 1836, there's a list of complaints there, complaints against the government of Mexico in that Declaration of Independence. And the 16th complaint reads as it, which was the Mexican government, denies us the right of worshiping the Almighty to the dictates of our own conscience by the support of a national religion calculated to promote the temporal interests of its human functionaries. hope you can understand this. Rather than the glory of the true and living God. How many of you knew that that was in the... Texas Declaration of Independence. I read that to 40 people one morning in the Texas Heroes Foundation here at Hood County. Not one of them had ever known that. I said, we're missing something here. And that really got me excited. So I began to see, well, there must have been some sort of a religious conflict back in those days that folks would put it into the Declaration of Independence that they were concerned about their religious freedom. What had happened was is that 
when Mexico took over the state of Texas in 1821, they decreed Catholicism as the national religion. So the settlers that came into Texas, we'll get into in a minute, they were Protestants. By and large, 97% of them were. So there was a spiritual conflict that developed. Uh, Mexico was trying to enforce its Catholicism. Uh, there were um, clergy that were coming across the border to preach and teach to the Protestant settlers that had come across. They came across illegally. A lot of them got arrested. There, A lot of stuff went on we don't have time to get into. But when I saw this, I was really encouraged. And uh, so I wanted to know more, and I began to study and began to study. And the result of this book is this book. And, and really, there's a lot still out there on the Internet that connects Texas history to, to Christianity that I haven't discovered yet. Um, let's look at the uh, next chart. I want to show you in Scripture where God's plan started. You, you know this, I'm sure. But in Genesis, the first chapter, which is right in the beginning of the book, you know, it says God blessed them. That was the man and the woman that he put in the garden. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and all that. And then in the second chapter of Genesis, he tells, uh, tells us what the man was supposed to do. He put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, to take care of it, to keep it, to be a farmer. But in the first part, I see God's purpose. I see God's purpose for all time because it's repeated in other places in the Bible that we'll look into. He says here, be fruitful and multiply. We think, well, that means go and have a lot of kids and stuff, but... He meant here, fill the earth, which was to expand the garden, the way I see it, right? People might argue with me, but I don't claim to have all the truth yet, by the way. I just have some of it. I see this as God saying to Adam, go and fill the earth. I'm blessing you, which means empowering. I am empowering you to go fill the earth. That word in Hebrew there, fill earth, means increase. It means go increase. Increase this thing I'm giving you. I'm giving you this garden. Cultivate it. Take care of it. But increase it. So that's God's original plan. Everything was going to work out fine as long as Adam did his job. As long as he took care of the garden. He had a help meet. You all know what help meet means? In Hebrew it means qualified helper. So he had a helper to help him do those jobs. Take care of the garden but expand the garden. Take care of it and expand it. Take care of it and expand it. Unfortunately, he disobeyed. So God had to modify his plan. Now, I see in the history of the earth, biblically speaking, there's 6,000 years, not millions, 6,000. I go by the Bible. I can, we can argue with scientists and whatever, but I just go by the Bible. I have simple faith. There's 6,000 years accounted for from this time in the garden to where we are now, roughly 6,000. So I go by that. So, and I needed this somehow to fit into that six years. That was a challenge because when you look out on the Internet and stuff, it's all scientific. They said Indians had been here since 12,000 years or whatever. So I had, to, I had to study not only on the Internet but make it fit into the Bible. Now, man has... Man, it, started out by disobeying God in the garden, and it's, you know, we've continued to sin and disobey and do the wrong things. But God is an expert at 
at changing his plan. Whatever we do is not going to keep God from from achieving his purpose. It's impossible for us to hold God back from achieving his purpose. So let me just mention a couple of other major things that happen because they fit into this history that we're about to get into. Um, the man and the woman were evicted from the garden. Uh, the, the Bible says not because they disobeyed, but because um, they would be able to eat from both trees, the tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil. That was the reason that they were evicted from the garden. But anyway, they were evicted from the garden. So God initiated a modified plan. Modified plan is that um, the earth can be subdued, the, the kingdom of God can be established all over the earth, but it's got to be done a little bit different than the original plan that he gave them. Uh, so, what would be the next major thing? Well, it was the flood. The flood occurred, according to a lot of different sources, but Jewish history is one of them in about 2500 B.C. So we had 1,500 years of history to get to the flood. By the way, if you all want to really get into something interesting, if you haven't done it yet, go down to the Creation Science Museum in Glenrose if you haven't been there already. I was fortunate to meet Dr. Baugh in all of this. And he helped me fit all of this into the 6,000 years because he's a scientist. And he endorses the concept of all of this history happening in 6,000 years. And he can discuss it scientifically with you on a scientific level, how it was possible that it happened, what happened to the dinosaurs, where they went, the fact that dinosaurs and people lived on the earth contemporaneously and not in millions of years apart. Um, it's very interesting. We had him speak at the Ministerial Alliance a while back and. That was one of the most fascinating meetings for me that, you know, that, that, that we've had. But anyway, the flood was, was a big deal, wasn't it? It changed the earth. It wiped out all life on earth except eight people. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people were left on the earth to restart the plan. He told Noah <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 9. I'm not going to go there. I don't have a chart on that. You will see in Genesis chapter 9 that God told Noah... Pretty much the same thing. In fact, it was expanded because um, there were a little bit. There's a little bit more to convey to him now. Um, so he tells Noah basically the same thing: go and fill the earth, subdue the earth. You're in charge now. Get it done. So that was the next plan, uh, but it wasn't too long. And a lot of people don't know the, this history sequence. But we have a flood. Just take my word. I mean, you can study it, maybe you'll come to a different conclusion, but about 2500 B.C. would have been the flood. 300 years later, we have a big event that a lot of people overlook, which is the Tower of Babel, because God had said, go out and subdue the earth. But the descendants of Noah stuck together, and they worked together, and they were all working, all the people of the earth were working to build the Tower of Babel. God said, go subdue the earth. How are you going to go and subdue the earth if every person on earth is in Babylon building a tower? So do you all remember what happened? you all remember what happened? <clears throat> the Bible says God changed their languages, and here's a key word, he scattered them. I call it the scattering. In my book, I call it the scattering because he scattered, the Bible says, all people to all places on the earth. Now, that didn't happen overnight. They didn't just jump over. 
There were two other things that happened about that same time. Because of the flood, and Dr. Baugh is the one that helped me understand this, because of the, of the flood, there was a, a climate change on the earth, right? Big climate change. That flood caused a lot of change, laid down a lot of sediment, rocks were built and all this stuff, and it just happened in, in a, short, <coughs> excuse me, a short period of time. Uh, so... See how I want to go with that. Lord, where we go with this? The climate change that occurred, there's three major parts of it, I guess. One was that the, that the climate changed so that the animals started getting smaller and people started living shorter lives. There was a, a uh, the, sh the shifting of the continent. This, this is what I want to get to because all the continents had been one thing, according to Dr. Ball. And 300 years after the flood, they begin to divide up. And uh, those are the main things that happened that made it possible for the scattering to occur, right? Because today all the continents are way apart. But at that time, they were together. This is 300 years after the flood. All of this happened. And so people began to scatter. There was also a... Ice age that came down from the north so that when the people began to scatter, some of them came across the land bridge from Russia to Alaska, and the ice age pushed them down so that what we wind up with is a whole bunch of people who were living all the way from northern Canada over several hundred years. This happened from northern Canada all the way down to the bottom of South America, the bottom of Africa, Australia, and all these places. How in the world could people have gotten to Australia in those days? They didn't have boats that could have gotten them from Babylon to Australia unless they were together. So my theory is that they were all together. And <clears throat> so we have a scattering. Some of those folks wound up here in Texas, and they became Comanches and Apaches and this and that. That took quite a bit of time, right? Well, <clears throat> before I even got into this part, one of the great discoveries that I made was that Columbus – who came to the New World in 1492. Uh, and, and if you look at secular history now, they're, they're trying to tell us how what a jerk he was and how bad and he killed Indians and all this kind of stuff. He was a devout Christian. He was a Catholic, but he was a devout Christian. And he believed that God had called him. Now get this, okay, in 1492, this guy believed that God had called him to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. How do we know that? Well, we know it because he wrote a book. He wrote a book called um, something about prophecies. I have a lot of notes here. Usually I don't bring very many notes, but i got way more notes than I can use. The book of prophecies. And he wrote, Columbus came to the New World four times, and between voyage number three and number four, he wrote a book called the book of prophecies. And he told about his Christianity and told about what motivated him. And if you look backwards in history, you find out that, um, well, where did Columbus get that knowledge? Uh, why wasn't Columbus afraid? Everybody else in, in, in Europe at that time thought the earth was flat. Everybody laughed at him. He had tried nine times. He went to either the king of Portugal or the king of Spain or the queen of Spain to try to get funding to come to the new world because he believed that he would be able to come back. And everybody laughed at him. Finally, he got the money, which is another coincidence, one of those coincidences, right, because the Moors had occupied Spain for 800 years, all of a sudden that war came to a conclusion at the same time that Columbus was making his last appeal to the, 
to the Queen of Spain to get money for the voyage. Suddenly they had money to give to him for that voyage because they didn't have to fight the war anymore. This all happened, you know, in just a few months, an 800-year-old war. They had been fighting the Moors for 800 years. That war came to a close. The money was available. Queen Elizabeth said, go try the first voyage. He discovered, you know, he discovered islands in the Caribbean, and the New World was suddenly open. In that process, he, in the second voyage in 1494, he founded a colony called Jamaica. Anybody ever hear of Jamaica? It's an island down in the Caribbean. I haven't been to it, but uh, we, when Sherry and I were in Miami, we knew a lot of Jamaicans because a lot of them live in Miami now. But um, there was a colony called Jamaica, and 24 years after Columbus came to the New World, the governor of Jamaica sent a guy to go explore the Gulf of Mexico and find a passage over to Asia. That was their whole thing was to find a passage to Asia, right? Well, that guy was the first European that we know of that brought a report back. Now, there might have been Vikings and all these other things that you hear about in history, but he was the, fourth, the first European to take a report back that he had actually, or, or to send a report because he never made it back, this particular guy. His name was Alvarez de Pineda. De Pineda. He came. He never got off his boat. He rode the boat around the Gulf of Mexico, and he made a map from Florida all the way around the border and back over to Mexico, back down here and showed the Yucatan and all this stuff sticking up. He was the first one to ever draw a map. I believe there's a, a, a copy of it on, in the archives in Austin. That was done in 1519. 1519. That's 100 years before the pilgrims came to Massachusetts. I said 100 years before the pilgrims came to Massachusetts. The guy draws a map. Within one year, that map, suddenly people said, oh, look at all this land up here. I wonder if there's gold and stuff that we can find up there. By the way, the guy that drew the map never made it back to Jamaica. His map somehow did, but he never made it back. The assumption is he got killed by Indians. But um, once he drew that map and people saw that there was all this land up there that nobody knew, and it wasn't Asia. It was right there, pretty close to where they were. They were down here in the islands, right? I'll do it this way. They were down here in the islands, and here's all this land up here that this guy had, had, had drawn a map of. So here's my theory. Where did all those Indians come from? All those Indians that came to Texas were part of the scattering. These were the succeeding generations. These were the descendants of, that they found here in Texas. When they first got here, they were descendants of the scattering, the people that had been scattered from Babylon. One of the really, really interesting things that I found when I was doing my research was that when they looked at the DNA, now this is back some years ago, when they looked at DNA of Native Americans, whether they're Eskimos all the way down to the Inca Indians in South America, they're all related. They all have common DNA, common elements in their DNA. They're all related. They're all cousins. And they used to think that uh, all of the people who were Native Americans that came were from East Asia. But in more modern times, now that DNA has become more sophisticated, they've concluded that all of the Native Americans from, as I say, from the Eskimo to the Inca, and all of them that Columbus found in the islands, 
they all came from Western Eurasia. Western Eurasia is has what in it? What would you guess? Would it be Babylon maybe? In other words, uh, by DNA, they can see that they're all related all the way back to the Tower of Babel because that's where they came from originally. One-third of the DNA of Native Americans matches that West Eurasian component, which, come on, what do you need? When science confirms the word, I mean, we believe the word because it's the word, right? And uh, science is always, I think, always trying to catch up with the word. But when it confirms the word, wow, to me that's powerful, okay? Because they're going to try to tell us, well, you know, Indians have been here for 12,000 years and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, no, it, uh, the Indians started coming this way, or Native Americans started coming this way about 2200 B.C. And uh, after some thousands of years or so, whatever that was, till Columbus got here in 1492, um, you know, a lot of generations came. Those people lived here. They died here. They had families here. Uh, probably a lot of you already know that the, that the name Texas doesn't come from the Spanish. Not from Tejas. That's Texas. Spanish for Texas. You know where it comes from? Pardon? It's that Caduan because it's from the Caduan language. So it's from it's an Indian word and it means friend. And um, I forget that word, but I got it written down here. So there's so much in history, I can't keep it all in my head. But Tesha, that's that's it. Tesha is the Caduan from the Caduan language. That's where Texas takes its name from an Indian word. Did you know that? means friend. That's why we're a friendly state. There's a spirit of friendliness on this state. That's one of the things we discovered when we came out here from uh, all of Sherry's life in Miami was how friendly the people are here, right? That's a good spirit to have. Spirit of hospitality, spirit of friendship, spirit of togetherness, spirit, you know, that's that's a good thing to have. Now, we don't have a lot of time, but just let me tell you that after after all this happened, as soon as that map, as soon as that map was made available the next year, we got 15, 19, and by the way, I'm only going over in this service to a certain level, and I'm going to pick up there and go the rest of the way. I can't cover the whole thing in just this one service, so I'm going to cover the rest of it in the second service. I invite you to come back because a lot happened after where I'm going to have to stop in this service, but after that map was drawn, we have two groups of people that came to Texas that changed this place forever. One was the conquistadores. The, it's in English, means conquerors. They were the explorers. They came here. They impacted this place forever. And at, right along with them, just about the same time, were the Franciscans who came, and they're the ones that built the missions. Now, there were four main explorers that came to Texas, but the one that I want to mention to you this morning that had a profound impact on our state and on our history and got us to where we are today is a guy by the name of Cortez who never came here. Everybody here remember Cortez from studying Texas history? Well, there's some neat things about Cortez. You read him in the book. He killed Indians, and he spread disease, and I don't know what all he did down in Mexico, but I I never read anything positive about it. But what I found out was, you know, if you read the right books, there's, there's always the other side of the story, right? The other side of the story was that when Cortez went to Mexico, he was trying to get along with the Aztec Indians there, and he became friends, sort of, with Montezuma II, who was the king of of uh, the Aztecs at that time, he was trying to make friends until the king decided that he was going to go ahead 
with the, his periodic sacrificing of children. They was, that was part of their culture then at that time was to sacrifice children. That offended Cortez, and Cortez went because he only had a few hundred men with him. He wasn't able that That was a big thing. The Aztecs were big. They had ruled that area for 200 years. And they were a big deal down there. You didn't mess with the Aztecs. They had defeated other Indian tribes all around the area. And so Cortez went to some of those tribes and recruited from those tribes in order to get enough people to come against the Aztecs. They defeated them. The result was this guy, he did several big deals that affected our history. He installed Catholicism, which we had to deal with later. Um, I, I don't say it in a negative way because... There, there's an aspect of, of Catholicism that's really good. It's he, Catholicism and the, and the people who observed it brought Christianity to the new world. Their form of it, their way of, of worshiping and so forth. Um, so he installed Catholicism as a religion. He, he, um, he installed the Spanish language and tried to install their culture. So they began speaking Spanish by decree. They had no choice. They had to study Spanish, and they had to observe the Catholic uh, religion. Now, Cortez also went as far down as Nicaragua. The map is here's Mexico, and down below that is Guatemala and Belize and El Salvador and Honduras and Nicaragua. He went all that far down trying to convert Indians, Mayans down there, to Christianity, and uh, all of those things happened in a relatively short period of time. He did that in half a dozen years and changed the culture. He also built Mexico City on top of the ruins of the capital city that he had destroyed when he when he beat up on them. And after him, then <clears throat> um, the other the, the next part that's so great about Texas history is the Franciscans came. Who were the Franciscans? They were Catholic clergy. Right. Why did they come? Well, they came because they wanted to convert Indians, Native Americans to Christianity. That was their whole purpose. They came. They built 27 missions that I can count in the state of Texas. Those little missions, some of them, you know, there's four or five or half a dozen of them that ruins. You can go to San Antonio and see five or so of them. It's very, very interesting. Those little missions were that their, their purpose was to introduce the Spanish culture to the Indians, to the Native Americans, and to bring them into the Spanish culture. They were supposed to be little Spanish towns. It didn't work out too good. And in about 200 years or so, they began to disappear. The first, the first two were built in 1682, just to give you a frame of reference here. 1682, the, the uh, people in Plymouth and, the, you know, the pilgrims, they had just gotten over to Massachusetts. Jamestown was 1607. Um, 1620 was the colonists that went to Massachusetts. But the discovery and the colonization of Texas started way before that. The Spanish were here in 1519. Y'all get that? 1519. And the Spanish were here for 300 years before Mexico got their independence in 1520. I mean, uh, 1821, Mexico got their independence. They took over Texas. And Mexico only had possession of Texas for 15 years before Texas declared independence. Only 15 years. But you would think, you know, <laughs> we 
had always been under Mexican domination, all the things that happened in a short period of time, 15 years, and the colonists were ready to revolt and all of that. Well, to sum this up, because we're running out of time, the plan of God is has been, as I said from the beginning, to bring the gospel to the entire world, to bring the kingdom of God to the entire world. There came a time when it was time to bring the gospel to the new world. Texas was the doorway for the for that to happen in North America in particular. Just think about that. The oldest colonies in the country started out in either Florida or Texas. And it's when you start looking at God in this thing, Texas history takes, for me anyway, it takes on a new light. I see God moving in it, and I'm more interested in it because I can see that God had a purpose. He had a plan. He was working here, and it's something that we can we can celebrate in addition to the heroes that we celebrate. Um, for this service, just let me mention that following the uh, the uh, Declaration of Independence of Texas in 1836, it was a republic for nine years until 1845. In 1845, it became the 28th state of the United States. We can celebrate that this weekend. We are the 28th state. We had some rocky places up ahead of us, but we're the 28th state. And um, immediately after becoming a state, the next year, 1846, uh Texas managed to get the United States embroiled in a major war, which was the Mexican-American War from 1846 to 1848, which is where the boundaries were defined and the property was deeded over to the United States side all the way out to California. Tremendous history that took place during this little period of time, all part, for me, all part of God's plan. Did God want people to get killed? Did God want wars to happen? Did God want Native Americans to be treated the way they were no that wasn't god's plan that's the way people carried out uh, you know the opportunities that they had at the time and we don't do anything perfect i don't know if you notice that i have jesus was the only perfect human being and so you can't expect folks to be perfect you can't expect folks to do things right and it's the same story today by the way um stuff some of the stuff we're seeing that we don't like well it's just people being human beings and they're going to mess up um some of us that think we're so right, we're going to mess up too, right? So I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be a Texan. I'm really glad God moved us back here because I was gone for a long time. I was gone from 1964 to uh, 2012. How many years is that? Long, long time. And I was really glad to get back. And uh, we're glad to be a part of Generations Church. Thank you. Thank you for letting me come this morning. And uh, God bless you. Thank you so much, Bill. Can we stand? I just want to read one verse before we release you. Paul in Acts 17 addresses the people on Mars Hill. And he said that God has made a one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. Why did he do that? Verse 27 of Acts 17, That they should seek the Lord, if perhaps they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far 
from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God bless you. Have a great day. Go for Jesus.